We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Mark chapter 7. And we're in part two of this, of this amazing passage. And if you recall about three weeks ago, following Jesus revealing himself to the disciples as the, as the I am who walks on the sea, Mark takes us back to, uh, to how the religious establishment is, is responding to Jesus. And if you haven't noticed this yet, there, there are three main groups in, in, March, uh, in Mark, at least up to this point. There's the crowds, there's the disciples, and then there's the religious leaders or the establishment. All of these stories have to do with the disciples, have to do with the crowds or the religious establishment, and sometimes all three. And, and, and this is one of those, one of those stories. We, we had a Gentile encounter with a demon-possessed tomb dweller, and those will increase as, as the ministry of Jesus goes outside of Galilee and ultimately into Judea and to the cross. But primarily, it's been in Galilee, and it's been with, with the Jews, because Jesus is the Messiah who first comes to his own. And other than a handful of followers, his own have received him not, right? I mean, that's what we've been seeing. And and even the disciples, just a handful of them, even the disciples are kind of, kind of slow on the on the download. You, you, they're they're on dial-up internet. The others aren't, don't have any internet at all. But but the the disciples are are still on on, on dial-up. And Jesus is is going to turn his focus beyond Galilee and the hostility from the from the religious establishment will increase all the way up to the up to the cross. And and Mark seven, this passage that we're looking at, really solidifies why and ultimately why they crucify him. It's this this passage is not while it's titled Traditions, it's not just an encounter about tradition. But it's a lesson on the real problem of man. And and in turn the the real promise of the of the gospel. Man's problem is not external it is it is internal, and if you miss that, it, it's going to lead to a misdiagnosis of a person's true spiritual condition. The problem is not external; it's it's internal. And if you think it's external, or you think your walk with 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 God is all about the externals, then then you're going to misdiagnose the problem and misdiagnose a, a, a person's true spiritual condition. And I think this text is, is significant because of that in the, in the life of Christ, but it also answers a question that everyone wants to know. Where does, where does evil come from? Why do people do bad things? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, um, I, I was listening this past week to, to a message about, about Mark 7, and, uh, and the preacher said it used to be that uh, very few people... Um, he would say. He said, "Very few people today doubt that human beings are really evil because there's cameras everywhere and it's it's 24/7. We get to see the evil all over the world. It's right in front of us. It used to be you're in a little community and you only saw the evil that was in the community that you were in. But now it's 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 on display. It's everywhere. And and, and he said most people don't question whether there's evil or 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 people do bad things. They they want to know where it comes from. And this text answers that that question. And it's not because of environment. People don't do bad things because of environment or lack of education or failures in political systems or failures in fairness. 
People don't do bad things because of, of any of those things. Evil comes from within. It comes from within the, the human heart. And that's a very, very different message from, from what you'll hear in the, in the world today. What you'll hear today is that evil is caused by something outside of you. Our society says that, that people do bad things because of the environment. It's environmental. It's external. Common thinking is that the reason people do bad things is because of some external stimulus. They were, they were overexposed to anger from their parents as a child, so they, they're angry people and they murdered. That, that's the reason that that person murdered. They didn't grow up in a good home, so they don't know any better. Or it's because of lack of education. You can't blame them. They were better educated. They, they, they wouldn't do that. And in all of those statements, it comes back to a central theme. What corrupts us is outside of us. That's, that's, that's the general teaching of, of the world. And, and, and that thinking is very common. You, you can hear it in statements that we probably don't even, don't even think about. How many times have you said, that made me so mad? Nothing makes you mad. There's an external stimulus, but you choose to react to that or respond to that from the inside. Well, well, he had a hard life. And that may be true, but, but some people who have hard lives actually makes them grow stronger. I think the Depression generation had a pretty hard life, don't you? Some of you are in here. Well, Johnny was bullied as a child, and that, that's why he, was, why he was like that. Jamie Ridgway was too, and he can, he can roll about anybody in here. There's even a blame-shifting personality disorder in psychiatry. Blame-shifting personality disorder. For those who get caught shifting blame all the time. So if you get caught shifting blame all the time, you have what's called blame-shifting personality disorder. And you know what causes that? It's your personality type, which you can't fix. You can't do anything about. And Christians even do it at times. At times, I heard a man give an explanation one time for, for lacking grace in, in his speech. And he said, well, I'm just a prophet. I, I tell it like it is. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? No, you're just acting like a jerk and using some extra-biblical psychiatric nonsense to blame your sin on it. That's, that's, that's the issue. All people, no matter the time or the culture, want to blame something out, outside of themselves. And on the flip side, all religion is based on, on, on that in reverse. They teach something external can make you right with God. And Jesus here, the Bible says that our hearts have the complete capacity within themselves to generate all manner of evil. No amount of traditions, rituals, deeds can remove that latent iniquity that, that is, that is with, within us. Sin works its way from the inside out. That is a definitive Christian view. John MacArthur. And the Pharisees didn't get that. Because they lacked a biblical anthropology, they, they thought the corrupting influence came from outside. And so their entire system was about avoiding some type of corrupting or defiling influence. If, if we just avoid sinners or Gentiles or dead things or, or lizards or whatever, it, that would fix the problem and we'll, we'll remain clean. Everything was about, was about ritual purification. If we just stay away from... From those books or 
that place or those kind of people, then we won't be defiled or corrupted. And they, they created an extra biblical system by filling in the white spaces of the Bible. They, and the result was this vast legal complex, which was practiced by the Pharisees and was entrusted to the scribes and was binding upon Israel. And then Jesus comes into the midst of that, that system. And he says the problem is not outside, the problem is, is inside. You can avoid all of those things and still be full of gross wickedness and lust. You can never go to the movies your entire life and still be a fornicator in your heart. Externals can't defile us because they don't enter the heart, and you're already defiled because of what's in you. And the real answer is what only Christ can provide. Only Christ can provide you a new heart... And after Christ provides that new heart, the only answer to overcoming sin is progressing in sanctification. That's, that's the, the general teaching of, of, the, of the New Testament. The story, we've already looked at, at most of it, but it begins with the religious leaders in, encountering Jesus or confronting Jesus in verses 1 through, through 5. And then Jesus responds to them with this passage from Isaiah 29, 13. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, of you hypocrites. And Jesus then rebukes them. And he, he does so with scriptures. He tells them, you neglect the scriptures for the traditions of man. And then he goes further with this example about honor father and mother and says that you actually negate the scriptures. And then he gives this general teaching to the crowd about, about it's not what goes in, but what comes out that defiles. And then he ends this whole thing by this explanation, this further explanation to the, to the disciples. And that's in verses 17 through, through 23. We covered these first three last time. It's, we said the whole passage, this whole passage ends with divine revelation about what defiles us and man standing before God in, in light of that. And the theme is about neglecting the commandments for the externals. And people who do that, if you do that, if you have a tendency to do that, you, you investigate everyone, they show up and investigate Jesus, they try to intimidate him, and then they end up ignoring the commandments. And today we're going to see how they invalidate. You'll end up invalidating the Scriptures. You won't just ignore the commandments, you'll invalidate the Scriptures in order to uphold your traditions and then ultimately you'll inhibit the truth. What you think is actually helping actually inhibits the truth, which is that sin is within, it's not external. Let's look at this first one. You, you invalidate the Scriptures. They invalidated the, the Scriptures. Look, if you would, at verse 9. He was also saying to them, this is after he ends with this, this prophecy from Isaiah, he models for them what they're failing to do. They appeal to the traditions of the elders. Jesus appeals to the Bible, tells them in verse 8, you're neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. In verse 9, he was also saying to them, you are experts in setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Verse 8 and 9 say something slightly different. He says, you're experts in setting aside the commandment, the second half of Jesus' rebuke. And they were confronting Jesus on his failure, and he says, you're the one that actually invalidates the law of God, and you're experts at it. It means you've mastered it. You're not a novice at doing this. You're experts. You're, 
you're, you're, you're so good at setting aside the commandments of God for traditions that pe- the people can hardly tell you're doing it, and you don't realize that, that you're doing it. You, you, you're deceiving yourself. Some legalism is very easy to see. It's very overt. And most of the time, those are novices. And you look at that and you go, what? That's not in the Bible. You can't wear flip-flops somewhere or you're unspiritual. You know, whatever. Fill in the blanks. It's very easy to see that that somehow is, is, is extra-biblical. Those people that, that do that, they're novices. But, but certain people get become experts at at adding, and they, it's harder to see, it's harder to discern, and this clearly is what Jesus says about the, the Pharisees. And then he gives a specific example. Look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. Now he quotes as an example for how they do this, what's considered one of the highest in the uh, highest commands in the in the Ten Commandments: Honor your father and mother. I mean, that's that's a pretty big one, right? I mean, that's the foundation of, of Jewish society, and nobody could disagree with that one. The Pharisees would never say, "Oh no, that that's that's what Jesus says." It's, it's it's one of the significant commandments, and just to make sure that they understood how seriously God takes the commandment to honor father and mother, He quotes the severe punishment that God imposes for those who break it. That's from Exodus twenty-one seventeen. He who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to, to death. Breaking that law. That, that's how serious that God sees this law. The punishment is, is death in the, in, in the Old Testament. And then he shows how their traditions had nullified it. Look at verse 11. And that's what God says. But you say, if a man says his father to his father or his mother, whatever I have, that would help you is Corban. That is to say, that is to say, given to God or or a gift unto the Lord. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do that you do many things such as that. This is not just this is just one example of of many. Now, what is this about Jesus is talking about here? What is, what is Corban? It's, well, the, the Pharisees had an extra-biblical allowance that, that said, I mean, they had, they had the laws of tithing and the, and the, the offerings that were to be brought to, to the temple, and, and they had made, in their traditions, an extra-biblical allowance that said, if you dedicate a portion of your wealth unto the Lord, then it was sheltered from common use. You couldn't, you couldn't use it. You could use it as long as you lived, but, but you, no one else could, could take it, and, and, and it couldn't be applied anywhere else. It, that's what Corbin was. It was an oath to place a ban on something. It was reserved for sacred use. Therefore, you, you couldn't use it for, for common things because it had been dedicated to God. So, so it obviously couldn't be required to take care of, of, of aging parents. Think of it like a spiritual tax shelter. It was a or religious trust. And it's been given in trust to God. It's like us saying today, God, as long as I use my things for you, I don't have to give to you. Everything I have is, is, is yours, Lord. So, so I couldn't give as you command 
in the in in the Bible. Or or we don't want to use this building for ministry because it's God's building. We should reserve it for him. I mean that that's basically what what they were what they were saying and it's it's obviously ridiculous whenever you think about it. But the Jews that declared based on this extra biblical tradition, the ones that de- declared Corban turned the law around and found a way to seem to keep the law, but actually neglected it. And the Pharisees did this with with a number of things. And it ended up benefiting them rather than some other way around. You know, what did, what did Jesus say about the, all the Sabbath laws? You're missing the point. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The reason that God gave the laws were, was to be a blessing, not to be a burden. It was to teach. It was to assist. It was to promote human flourishing. And you, you've made them like a spiritual ball and chain. And, and, and you do that with, with many things. Now, there's a progression in this passage that I want you to see. I want you to look at verse 5. Because Jesus says in verse 5, he, he first he starts with, why do you, they call it the tradition of the elders. And then in verse 7 and 8, Jesus says it's, it's uh, the traditions of men. Verse 8. The tradition of the elders, the tradition of men. And look at what he says in verse, verse, verse 9. You are experts in setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So he goes from the tradition of the elders to the tradition of men to your tradition. And that's because the, 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 when the Word of God is not the basis, what starts as the tradition of elders is then reinterpreted and added to and then becomes the tradition of the day and then is further interpreted by you. And the progression gets, gets, gets worse in, in, in the outcome. Verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of, of men, you you abandon the, the commandments. In verse 9, the word, Jesus says, you're an expert at setting aside the commandment. To, you nullify it. You, you annul it in order to establish your tradition. You don't just fail to hold to the Bible. You reject its clear teaching in order to keep your own interpretation. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. I mean, this is the real slippery slope. And when you add to the Scriptures, you take your focus off the Word itself and you end up abandoning it. Abandoning it. And if you do that for, for too long, then tradition becomes like Scripture and you end up nullifying the Bible in order to uphold your tradition. And that's what the religious leaders were, were doing. And that's dangerous for your own soul, but it's also very, very dangerous for other people because it actually becomes a blind spot for them. You actually inhibit the truth rather than rather than, than promote it. Look, you would at verse 14. After Jesus says you do this with, with many things, in verse 14, it's a new scene. And he called the crowd to him again. And he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and, and, and understand. Jesus gives this general teaching to the crowd. There is nothing that is outside of a man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what, are what defiles the man. And then in verse 17, when he left the crowd 
and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. So there's two distinct scenes here. One is where Jesus calls the crowd together. He gives general teaching to them. Then he goes into a house with the disciples, and the disciples ask him for more information. What is the, the proper interpretation? It's very interesting. After Jesus quotes the, the Ten Commandments, the law, and rebukes the Pharisees or shows them how they're, they're, they're negating it, nullifying it. In verse 14, when he calls the crowd together, there's an echo of the Shema in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him, he began to say, listen to me, listen to me all of you and, and understand. It's like, hear, O Israel. Jesus is not undermining the law or rejecting it. He's given the proper ter- interpretation. And, I mean, the parable is pretty straightforward. Now, he takes a, a common, everyday thing that, that everybody would understand, and he communicates something spiritual about it, right? And I'll try not to be too graphic, but, but this is, is purposeful. It's pretty straightforward in verses 14 through, through 16. In the material world. What goes in isn't defiling. Eating with unclean hands, the food that you eat is not defiling, but what comes out is defiling. Matthew, if you go over to the parallel passage, he says what comes out in the draft, or literally what comes out on the seat. And you know what comes out on the seat. You have no problems with what goes in. Now, there might be certain foods that you don't like and... You don't like Brussels sprouts or broccoli or if you're a kid, you walk in and mom's cooking something and you go, what is that? You know, it's, a, it's, it's adult food. It was Jared's 13th birthday on Friday and we had all 13-year-old food. So it was Chick-fil-A and pizza and all that. There was no old people food there, but it was really good. You don't have any problems with what goes in, that, but everybody... Even a child stays away from the other stuff, right? I mean, that's defiling. And that's what Jesus is saying. They're worrying about the externals. And he says it's not about the, the ceremonial washings of hands. It's not what goes in you that defiles. There's, it's what comes out that, that defiles. And the disciples question him. And he states what he means very clearly, very in spiritual terms. Look at verse 17. And when he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. That was not because they didn't understand what goes in and what comes out. What, what they, they didn't understand what he meant. I mean, this is earth-shattering. They have been taught their entire life clean and unclean. These foods are okay. Lobster and ham is bad. And pheasant and whatever else is, is good. What do you mean? And look at how Jesus responds to them. Verse 18, he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Are you also, it's in the emphatic position, are you also without understanding? The disciples see no better than the crowd, but because of their privileged position, they get private instruction. And Jesus says, do you not understand? And he begins to, to explain. The disciples were no better than the crowd, but they are, they're in a privileged position, so they get private instruction. 
It's a good example of us, you know. We're no better than unbelievers. There's nobody in here that's less of a sinner than an unbeliever. But we get to look into God's Word and receive instruction from the Lord every Sunday. We're in a privileged position. We get private instruction from the Lord, and the Holy Spirit teaches us those things. That's what, that's what church is. And Jesus says, food enters merely into the physical, the digestive part, into the stomach, not the moral or spiritual part, which is the heart. Verse 19, because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. There's the spiritual instruction. It can't, food can't make someone unclean because it goes in the stomach and it doesn't go in the heart. And the externalists were, were missing the point entirely. The, the external doesn't defile the internal. It's the other way around. It's what comes from within. It's not what goes in that defiles, but what comes out, because what comes out comes from the heart. Over and over and over, the Bible talks about the mouth, what, what's spoken out of the mouth. And it's not that God has something against the tongue or the mouth, but, but out of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. It's the, it's the exit point of the heart. Yes, you do things with your hands and with your feet, and you go places that, that, are, that, are, that come from motives of the heart, but, but, but the mouth is directly connected to the heart. So what comes out of your mouth is a, is a, is a true picture, x-ray, of what is... What's in, the, what's in the heart? And the heart is the place of standing before God. So why does Jesus say to them, I mean, if this is so re- revolutionary, if they're sitting there going, wow, we, we've told, been told our whole life not to eat these certain things, and, and, and they're, they're clearly Levitical laws, why, why, is Jesus, why does Jesus seem so hard on them? It says, are, are you with lacking understanding as well? Should the disciples have, have known this? Yeah. They should have known it. One of the most well-known parts of Israel's history illustrated it. You remember whenever Israel asked for a king? Who's the greatest king in all of Israel's history? David. David, Solomon, the, the wisest man. David was the great king, but there was a king before David, wasn't there? And his name was Saul. And how did Israel choose, uh, choose Saul as a king? They wanted a king like all the other nations. And they chose Saul because he was a head taller than everybody else. And he was beautiful. And do you remember whenever Saul is rejected and God sends Samuel to, to, to David's home, to the house of Jesse? And you remember when Eliab walks in? And, and what does Samuel, the prophet of God, say? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Do you remember what the Lord says to, to Samuel? No, it's not. God, you look on the outside. Man looks on the outside, looks on the external. But I look upon the heart. God chose David by looking upon the heart. I mean, how? I mean, is there any more common story in all of Israel's history that the disciples were, were reared on? And think about where they got all of these traditions to begin with. We said that the, the, the ceremonial washings that they were requiring, when you washed your hands and your cups and all of that, you, you can actually find a text in Leviticus that says do some of those things. But they were specifics to the priests 
Levitical priests in the temple. And the Pharisees said, well, if that will make you holy in the temple, then, then everybody should do that, not just the priests. And it should be applied to, to, to all, of, all of life. And where did they get the externals and the symbols to add into the white spaces? From the Mosaic Law, which provided pictures and symbols of what was to come. Circumcision, for example, was, was to illustrate the need for a heart change. It communicated that even from birth there was a need for a change and something needed to be taken away. That's why the Old Testament says salvation is like being circumcised in heart. Clean and unclean regulations were like the ABCs, the picture book that pointed to the one who was to come. And when he arrived, then he would write the cleansing on your heart. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, turn from the shadow, the substance is here. Turn from those lessons because Christ, the one that those lessons taught you about, is here. The law's end. The law's goal is Christ becoming like him. And that only happens in salvation, which begins when God gives you a new, new heart in regeneration. And it ends when you're fully conformed in, in redemption. And that's a change that no external can, can deliver. Look, if you would, at verse 21, because Jesus gives this, this is the crescendo, this is the MRI of the human heart, this is the, the x-ray, whatever illustration you want to use. It goes from traditions of the elders to this is the fundamental issue of man. And this is why religion won't work. For from within, out of the heart, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. There are 13 kinds of defilements listed here, seven plural actions and six singular attitudes. Evil thoughts, that's the overarching general command, evil thoughts, that evil things that proceed from within. Fornications, it's a broad term covering all acts of immorality, not just while you're married. Thefts, murders, those are pretty self-explanatory. Adulteries, sexual sins while married, deeds of coveting. Wickedness, it's malice, comes from within the heart. What you feel when you, when you look at someone that, that you don't like doesn't come from them, it comes from within. Lives, deception of, of, of any kind, sensuality. Evil, an evil eye, literally. It's, it's grudging. It's, 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 it's jealousy. Slander or blasphemy. It's railing toward man, which ultimately is railing toward God because man's made in God's image. Pride, which is arrogance and self-exaltation. Foolishness. It's the disposition of man. He's morally and spiritually insensitive. Evil thought serves as the overarching category, meaning evil inclinations. Evil inclinations come out of the heart. And look at foolishness is the, is the very last in the list. It's kind of a bookend. It proceeds from, from evil intentions, all of these things, these actions and these attitudes, and the very last one is, is foolishness, the final attitude of the heart. The fool says where there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. And man is corrupt in attitude, and he's committed evil deeds. And so the Bible says there's 
none righteous. There's not one person who does good. And so the outside can be washed by anything you want. It can be washed by baptism, standing up, face forward three times. It can be by Hindu oil. It can be holy water. It can be Lysol. It can be whatever you want. But the inside is still filthy. And the end result is our hearts are defiled before God. Look at verse 23. Here is the, the crushing blow. All these evil things proceed from within. And look at how he ends. And defile the man. Defile the man before the Pharisees. Defile the man before oral tradition. Defile the man before other people. No, defile the human being before it, Almighty God. That's where true defilement comes from. That's the problem. The declaration from God is that I'm not good and you're not good. And you're defiled before Him outside of Christ. And so the source of our problem is not out there, but it's in here. (laughs) No one made you do anything. It came from within. And because of that, you and I are defiled before God, no matter matter how religiously clean you try to make yourself. And you say, "That's man, that's depressing. That's 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 a that's that's a bad message. That's 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 a downer." Who's giving this message? Who's speaking right now? The Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to do what? To seek and to save that which is lost. You know the solution is? The solution is the one who's giving this message. The bad news before the good news. The solution is you must be born again. And the good news is you can be born again. You need a new heart. And that's the promise of God in Ezekiel and throughout the the New Testament. The only answer to evil in your heart or in mine or in the world It's for God to give you a new heart, and if you have a new one, and you grow in sanctification. And you grow, you come to the Lord and you grow, not by adding to the Word, but looking to Scripture alone. You don't add to it, you don't take away from it. You don't fill in the white spaces. If God left a white space there, He left it there for a specific purpose, and you don't need to fill it in. God's a whole lot smarter than you and I. And His blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm glad. I spent 20-some years of my life worrying about what other people thought and yet knowing what was going on inside of my heart. And you talk about a blow. Blow, to me, came from external circumstances that, that, that caused me to look inward. And it is a humbling thing to realize that apart from God that you you can do nothing and that you're a sinner and that you're headed for hell. But the minute that you cast your eyes eyes inward and then downward because of of the shame that's there and the self-loathing, then Jesus lifts the chin and says, look up, look to the cross. Look unto me and be saved. And he will do that. And when he does, he gives you a new heart with new desires that come with it new desires that want to please God, and no amount of rules in the world 
can ever bring that to pass. And that's why Jesus came. And Jesus can make you new. Don't you bow your heads. I don't know your heart. I don't know what struggles you're going through in life. I don't know if this is the first time you've ever heard this truth, but hear it from Christ Himself. And then hear whatever the problem's outside. If you have Christ on the inside, not only are you no longer defiled before God because Jesus paid for all of your sins, but but your standing before Him is a new standing. You're in Christ. And by the power of His Spirit, through His Word, He can help you put off and put on and make you more and more like Him. I'm going to pray and we're going to we're going to sing a song. And as we do that, um, there's going to be a prayer room over here and you can go and pray for someone, for yourself. And we invite you to go there. Father, we, we love you. Thank you for telling us the truth. I pray, Father, for everyone in here that you would block out the noise. <clears throat> Some of it very overt. Some of it we can sniff out. And others very subtle. It's just part of, of everyday life in the world. The, this teaching that the external is our problem. So keep us rooted in the Word. And focus us on the inside. Which makes us focus on you. Because only you can change us from the inside. And when you change us on the inside, it works itself out in our thinking, in our actions, in our feelings, and everything else. Because, because you're good and you're God. And we love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.